The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. <laughs> Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. I'm your host, Matthias Wadner, along with my co-host, Will Lomas, as always. And we are back to recap yet another Titans win as they move to 6-3 and three, uh, after taking down the Denver Broncos. But before we talk about that game and, and kind of recap what happened, what went right, what went wrong, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this Carl- Caleb Farley thing uh, because we got a rap sheet report earlier today that Caleb Farley suffered a disc injury on Sunday. Uh, and he's having more tests to determine how significant it is and how much time he'll miss. Noted expert Dr. Robert Watkins is expected to weigh in on Farley. Um, obviously not great news. It's not a huge blow to the team because he really wasn't playing at all. I'm actually surprised he even got injured in this game because what was he playing? Special teams only, right? I don't think I saw him for – if he did play on defense, I really didn't see, see him for too many snaps. Uh, but I think it's more concerning long term because a disc injury means probably a neck uh, back type of thing. And he already had that neck thing coming out uh, of college. And it's, it was a, the biggest reason why he even fell in the draft. So, man, it's just this dude can't get healthy. Uh, and, and it's really frustrating. But aside from that, I think a lot of people are pointing the finger at John Robinson right now because – he took the gamble on Caleb Farley, a falling Caleb Farley in the draft, who by all accounts, his talent said he was a top 10, top 15 type of player uh, in the draft. He hasn't shown that in his career, uh, but it's fair to question whether a lot of that was due to injuries. And now you're piling this one on top of him, uh, on top of it. And John Robinson is kind of in the crosshairs right now because he has taken gambles on, on some injured players. It's worked out, worked out amazing with Jeffrey Simmons. It hasn't worked out uh, with Caleb Farley. Um, but what do you think of this situation? What do you think about the blame that's going around to, to John Robinson? And what do you think about Farley's immediate and long-term future? Yeah, so let's start with the the Farley stuff first. Like, the, the short-term, like, I think he goes on our, and I think they – you know, fully put put him in the back burner, and then anything you get from him from here on out is gravy. Like, 
I think that's just how you treat it is like you're not calling him a lost cause, but it's basically like you need to get healthy and then you need to come out and play up to your athleticism and your, you know, your talent. And, you know, if you're good, awesome. Like we'll find a spot for you. We're the most injured team in NFL history. We'll, we'll always need more corners, but if not, I mean, it just is what it is. The, the evaluation. So, the like 2020 and 2021, right? Like the COVID affected years where you can't, you couldn't get like two back to back years with like solid like production and tape on all those guys. It, it was, it's, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of good, interesting like players from those classes. Like, you know, Rashad Weaver, like we don't give a lot of credit for the 2021 draft class having him. And then Monty Rice has looked solid. Molden's been good, like all that kind of stuff. But, those were two that didn't really follow a lot of the same tendencies, especially the 2021 draft, because really what Robinson had looked for historically is with the first, with their first two picks or their first and their second round picks specifically was long-term production, SEC players, like high character guys who could play in the run in the past. Like regardless of what position it was, like those, those are pretty much John Robinson things. Like, you can go back to uh, the 2018 class. So you have Rashawn Evans, like, was was that guy. Harold Landry was different. Like, he was another guy who was, you know, if we want to talk about injury swings, like, that that's one reason he was available in the second round was because of injuries. But, you know, he's been great for the Titans up until this year. But then after that, it was Jeffrey Simmons, A.J. Brown, both long-term SEC starters. Then it was Isaiah Wilson, Christian Fulton. Isaiah Wilson sucks. Christian Fulton's awesome. Then it was the 2021 year with Caleb Farley and Dylan Radins. And then last year it was Traylon Burks and Roger McCreary, SEC guys, like long-term starter. So he has he has a type. And the 2021 class was obviously the biggest detour, whatever you want to call it. Like, when you look at all the draft classes, that's the one that looks the weirdest, just in terms of tendencies and all that. So, you know, like... I. Caleb Farley is such a weird person to like talk about because we don't really know what he ever was as a corner. Right. So in college, he switched from wide receiver to corner. Like he, the one year he started, he was great. I mean, like super fast, long makeup speed. And he was sort of a raw developmental guy. And at the time you draft him as the same reason you drafted Jeffrey Simmons when you had, uh, Daquan Jones and Drew Casey is you've got guys who are supposed to be the starters. Like you've got Jack rabbit Jenkins and you've got uh Christian Fulton. And then you're going to have him replace one of those guys later. Same thing they did with Harold Landry when he was behind Iraq Poe and Morgan and all that. So that's the thought process. And it's just, you're swinging on a guy who, if he's healthy, he's a top 10 pick. If he's not, he's not. And again, it goes back to the medical staff and, there was a big deal made about, well, his medicals, you know, teams aren't clear on him. Some teams have him as off the board in the first round, and some teams still have him as a top 15 pick, blah, 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 blah. Well, the the Titans are one of the few teams that actually got their hands on him at the combine. Like, they they talked about it after they drafted him, is specifically John Robinson and the medical staff wanted to work with him directly, and so in that 2021 pre-draft pre-draft process 
it was sort of a free for all. And you could, if you could get your hands on a guy and grab him and pull him into an exam room, you could basically like do your own medical evaluation and then share your results. So once again, it's a weird pick just in general, just I say a weird pick. It's an out of character pick to pick somebody not from the sec, like, and not a long-term starter, but you know, the, I can understand sort of why he did that because the last time he did that, it was Isaiah Wilson and he was terrible. And the time before that it was Jeffrey Simmons. So if you kind of mix those two profiles together where it's like, well, the last time I drafted somebody who was injured and who had high upside, it actually worked out better for me. So maybe I can steer outside of the sec. Okay. If you look at it like that, then you look at Farley and it's like, okay, the medical staff that's produced the two most injured rosters in the NFL over the last two years cleared him. If a competent medical staff cleared him, would he, would he still be, you know, a bust? And that's kind of where we are because I don't know. I mean, when you draft it, where the Titans are going to draft from here on, I mean, like from where the, you know, when you're drafting in the twenties, every draft, there's not a lot of guys that are just sitting there that are no brainers. And, you know, that's a good thing because you don't want to be with the no brainers up top because you're, that means you're a bad team, but it all, you know, there's a lot of picks you look at, I mean, I, I don't need to go through all the drafts and every team that hadn't hit on a, tw- you know, a, a pick in the twenties, but th- this is more common. Like, yeah, I mean, like just to, just to touch on that a little bit, like imagine if they drafted Bateman, uh, which was a player that a lot of Titans fans wanted. Bateman yeah. is dealing with injury after injury. Uh, he just had a season cut short with a foot injury, has never reached his potential through two seasons. What would we be saying? We'd be saying the same exact thing uh, about John Robinson. All these people would. So I like I don't I also don't really think that it's a fair argument because it's not like he's like willingly drafting players who have extensive injury histories. Like I, I, people are going to point to Burst and Phillips. The, no, they weren't injured in college. They were fine, but they get to the Titans and they're starting to have injury problems. Yes. Farley and Simmons came in with injury histories, but Simmons has been an outstanding success. Farley has it. The draft is like 50, 50 on most picks. And he just took gambles. This one didn't work out. A lot of the other ones have worked out. And a lot of these other players who he's drafted that have gotten injured, you have to point at the medical staff because it's not only the rookies that are getting injured, everyone's getting injured. Yeah, I mean, like, look, like, you know, you look at starting in the 20s in that draft class. So it's like Kadarius Tony, he's already on a different team. Quiddy Pay, he was, uh, he was a freak coming out, but he's been injured the last two years. Uh, Caleb Farley, injured the last two years. Christian Darisol injured his rookie year. Najee Harris, they weren't going to draft a running back in the first round. Travis Etienne hurt his entire rookie year. Uh, Greg Newsom, I actually don't have any idea if he's been hurt or not. But then it's like Rashad Bateman injured. I mean, it just like, uh, you know, in one of the most injury-riddled classes, they just drafted an injured – like, they just drafted one of the guys who were injured. Like, I mean – it sucks. You don't want it to happen, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's not really a, a knock it out of the park kind of player that was there in that class that made sense for them at that position. I mean, like we even talked about how we didn't really like 
Elijah Moore was the guy who I think everybody, at least on our podcast, wanted. Like, you know, Luke, I, I think I had Luke on board with him. It's like he was a two-time SEC like starter. But the problem was he was, I believe he was a little bit smaller than A.J. Brown. I, I mean, I don't believe he's a little bit smaller than A.J. Brown. And uh, he was kind of like, with A.J. Brown, you could project maybe he starts in the slot and you move him outside later in his career, and he just start, he just was better than advertised. I think Elijah Moore is more of a slot guy in the NFL, and he's already you know, not content with a good New York Jets team and wants to be traded out of there. So I think there's a good chance that they talked to him and didn't like him in interviews and passed on him for that reason. So I don't know. Like, the the best like I mean the best picks in that range are like Christian Barmore who went in the top of the second round like I mean maybe Tyson Campbell but I think he had some character stuff like that it's just you know it's just one of those classes where there's not there's not a clear this is the guy you should have drafted and, and again I, I would I would say that anybody who comes to the Titans is just I'm assuming they're gonna miss six games so. Even if somebody started 17 games as a rookie for their team, just imagine that they missed at least six games and went on IR last year with the Titans, just because that's what everybody did. But, you know, it it sucks because we're in this place right now where people want to, for some reason, there's this glorification of Mike Vrabel because he's toughing it out and he's making all these pieces work, despite the fact that he's the only reason why Todd Downing is with the team. Like, you know, it, Mike Vrabel gets all the credit for shooting himself in the foot. And that's that's cool. You're but absolutely right. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I was going to bring it up as soon as you had finished your point. Uh, I was going to bring up this Greg Rosenthal tweet um, that he says is a pro Vrabel tweet. He tweeted out today, the Titans are routinely down seven starters, ranked 32nd in yards per drive, and have gained more yards than their opponent once this year. They are six and three. How is that a pro Mike Vrabel tweet? Like, I I think both of us are aware and we agree that Mike Vrabel is a good to very good head coach, but he has a lot of flaws and a lot of them come from just being blatantly loyal to bad coaches. And one of them right now, you just mentioned it, Todd Downing, and the other one, his medical slash strength and conditioning staff, which is literally setting historic records of injured players, and it can't possibly be that it's the front office's fault for for getting these guys in. It's it's not their fault. Yeah. And I mean the Todd Downing thing. I I don't even want to talk about it anymore because every single week it's the same thing, and nothing is going to change. And Mike Vrabel isn't going to change anything because he's just blatantly loyal to him. I, I think even Paul Kaharski kind of called him out on it today. Um, I can't remember what the exact quote well, that's, from that's Vrabel was. That's part of the was. stop the nonsense. So we'll, we'll okay, get to okay. that later. We'll, 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 we'll table that. But yeah. it's like very clear that that I think Vrabel sees the issue, but for whatever reason, he just does not want to make an abrupt change to what he believes and what technically is working because they're winning games. But you're not winning the Super Bowl with this offensive coordinator and this offense. And it's so weird that I understand the praise for Mike Rabel because I do think that the Titans uh, are outplaying their limitations, but a lot of people act like this team is not talented. 
This team is extremely talented. This is yeah. a really good roster. We talked about it in the in the preseason, in the offseason, that we thought they had depth at almost every single position on both offense and defense, and that this was the most talented rosters that they've ever had. And yeah. what happens? They're all injured. <laughs> They're all injured or limited by their offensive coordinator. Yeah. And they they played their seventieth player on Sunday, which leads the league. Of course it does. But like that they played their seventieth player on Sunday, which is so aggravating. And look, like like you just said, you know, it, it's not even I'm trying to put this in in a way that we haven't necessarily said it before. So going back to the whole, it's a like there's no talent on this team. It's like they've got Danico Autry, who has seven and a half sacks and has had ten sack seasons before this year. It's not he's not some revelation. He's a 32 year old who's been in the league for a decade. Like he's not some revelation that this staff just created out of nowhere. He's a good player and he's being used correctly by Shane Bowen, but that, that that's not it. They're not making something out of nothing, you know? So that's great. They have Jeffrey Simmons. Who's like, they didn't have him on Sunday, but they've had him the rest of the season. And he's probably the best defensive tackle in the NFL. Like, uh, I mean, Aaron Donald is probably gets that nod, but just when you watch on a play to play basis, like, I don't know that there's anybody who's as good and gives as much effort and does as many things as Jeffrey Simmons, you know, may, may, you know, maybe you like chocolate, maybe you like vanilla, whatever, but for my money, I would have Jeffrey Simmons. So, and he has five and a half sacks. And then, you know, Rashad Weaver has five and a half sacks. You know, he was a fourth round pick, but you know, he's a guy that has looked good. It looked like a steal when he was drafted in the preseason. It looks like the same exact guy now, except he's healthy enough to play and he's doing good things. You know, Bud Dupree is averaging a sack a game when he plays. So, you know, and this is not a kick Mike Vrabel thing, but you also have David Long, who Mike Vrabel refused to play until he was forced to play. Like we've talked about that before. Like he tried to play Christian Fulton in the slot, even though he's not a slot corner. Like, he gets so much credit for almost ruining things. And look, like you said, we, he's a good coach, but the problem is the coaching staff that this team had in 2020 should have won a Super Bowl. But the problem is that Shane Bowen wasn't allowed to call the plays and they had one of the worst defenses in NFL history on third downs, historically bad. And Maybe some of that was player. A lot of it was bad coaching and cushions everywhere and just just, you know, three man rushes, just bad play calling. And, you know, it, it's come out that Mike Vrabel was either calling the plays or have, you know, was heavily involved in the game plans. But it looked completely different than it has with Shane Bowen the last two years, like this year and last year. So if you had this defense or this defensive coaching with Arthur Smith's offense with all the talent that was on those rosters, that is the team that should have, you know, gone far and gone to the AFC championship and, you know, seen, seen what they did there, but they didn't, they, you know, that they didn't. And then now where Arthur Smith is in Atlanta and for whatever reason, Mike Vrabel's dying on the Hill that Todd Downing's his man. And it's just, it's all frustrating. And I'll talk more about Todd Downing later, but 
it, because and, and I don't even know why this sentiment is still here. Like the Titans are five and one. Sorry, the Titans are six and one in their last seven games. Like they've they've done it with a very conservative offense and an aggressive and aggressive defense that wins with four rushers and complicated coverage on the back end, but really just sound football. Like they are the team that they were last year, you know, except they've been injured and they, they've had injuries to Tannehill and haven't, you know, been able to put up quite as many points, which is crazy to say, but you know, this is who this team is. So I don't know why there's all this vitriol now of like, oh, you know, it's it's because it's not it's 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 making me mad thinking about it should be equal parts credit and blame for Vrabel and Robinson. But instead, it's all these people who want to just, you know, quote, tweet and say, like, oh, Mike Vrabel, coach of the year, anytime the Titans win. And then, like, how do they win? It's like, well. They gave it to uh, to Derrick Henry 20 times, and he got two yards per carry. And then Tannehill kind of bailed him out and <laughs> hit, you know, hit harder passes and, you know, made the offense work. And, you know, they, they ended up scoring enough points, even though there were some really dumb play calls. And everybody's like, wow, Mike Vrabel, what a coach. And it's like, no, like, he's doing the same thing. And then basically he puts everything on Ryan Tannehill in the fourth quarter and in two minutes, like – that's that's why it's so important to have Tannehill back, and maybe we'll talk about this in a second too. But the two minute drill before halftime, where the Titans went down the down and scored, like that that's why Tannehill's important because when he can call his own plays and go hurry up and do all that kind of stuff, you know, when he has more control over the offense and can be more aggressive, it's that's where you get seven points, and that set those seven points there are the difference between winning the game and losing the game. Yeah, uh, we will talk about the Broncos game. Well, we can just talk about it right now. But I, the last, the last point I want to make on on all that is is you kind of nailed it. What we want is equal for John Robinson and Mike Rabel to equally get praise because they both deserve it, and then equally get blamed when they do deserve it. But it's just never that way. It's so weird that that the coach who you know still employs Todd Downing and still employs the strength and conditioning staff still always gets the credit and it's always blaming uh, the front office for, for a lot of these moves that, that may or may not pan out. But anyway, let's just put a button on that uh, and, and talk a little bit about the Broncos game. The Tannehill thing you just mentioned was very interesting because uh, I don't want to go back to the Vrabel thing, but the same thing happened in the Packers game when Rodgers was allowed to go up tempo. And, and even in that one of those final drives, uh, he was going up tempo, ended up getting them, across the field in like what 40 seconds or something like that that's the best he's looked all season and the same thing with Tannehill that's the best our offense has looked all season when they've completely taken the 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 play calling out of the play caller's hands and and it happened with uh Rodgers and and Matt LaFleur which is funny because Mike Rabel is the one who hired uh Matt LaFleur to be OC and that was kind of a disaster also so uh that's just an interesting uh an interesting dynamic but man, this Broncos game was was disgusting, and I, I think we kind of saw it coming because the, every Broncos game this season has been tragic, just a complete disaster. Uh, just because of the way they play, they have an amazing defense. They're incredibly well schemed, 
and their offense is just terrible. Russell Wilson commits turnovers and he takes sacks. Uh, and that's what we saw in this game. And the Titans just, <laughs> I mean, they started this game so bad. Uh, and the offense looked somehow worse than it has uh, for a lot of the games this season. Uh, but finally, they, they end up getting on the board at the end of the first half. Uh, and then they just found a way to, to, to win this game uh, with a flu flicker to, to Nick Westbrook-Akine, who, hey, man, he shut up all of his haters, one of which is me. I I was I was ragging on him because he was like our most targeted player through the first half of this game and he kept dropping passes, he kept not getting open, which he just can't do. Uh and it took a flea flicker to finally get him some separation and he came through uh and then he came through with another end zone target as well. Uh so shout out to him for for getting it done in this game. I still don't think he's a very good receiver and we probably won't see this uh ever again. But I'm glad he came through to get us the win, but I don't know. I mean, I left this game happy that they won, but not overly optimistic about them going forward. And that's just kind of what every every win has felt like this season. Yeah. You know, Nick Westbrook-Akina, like, he was wrong when he said that the wide receivers had made plays and all that after the Chiefs game, but maybe that maybe that lit a fire under him you know and, and that's why he did it, it it's weird because when you watch the game I don't know if Derrick Henry was because we know he had to pee like we, we've all talked like that's been talked about over and over again I don't know if it was that or I don't know if it was maybe like he was sick and like had the flu or something and had to like you know I, I don't I don't I don't want to speculate any of that kind of stuff but like maybe he was just sick and that's why he looked cuz i i i don't have the technology to do it but if you put if you overlaid the Titans runs versus the Broncos and overlaid it on top of the runs against the Chiefs like the runs weren't going as far to the outside zone they were stopping at the B gap before he cut it up he was hitting them so slow like when when he was hitting them against Kansas City it was like he was shot out of a cannon like, it was like his feet were rocking. Like, he was hitting it full. Same thing against the Texans. Like, he was hitting the hole full speed, and if it wasn't there, he was making one. Against the Broncos, he was flat-footed a few times and just stopped and, like, kind of tried to half-heartedly cut back and then just kind of went forward for a yard. Like, there there was nothing. I don't know if, you know, they asked him if he was hurt. Maybe it was an injury thing. Maybe he was sick. What Something was wrong, and... I, I don't know what it was, but that that was that was strange. But that's a big part of why the offense looked different is because, you know, everybody's pointing to like Malik Willis, and it's like, oh, you know, when Malik Willis was in, Derrick Henry averages X amount of yards per per carry or whatever. It's like, yeah, but he was also going against the Texans defense, which is the worst in the NFL, and the Chiefs, where he was playing like a man on fire, like. I, this this was more Derrick Henry not doing his thing more than it was the offensive line not blocking. Not that I mean, look, I'm never going to say that Dennis Daly is good. So like, in, in when you have a line with somebody that bad, you know, it you're just you're not going to have a good offensive line. But the, I mean, the offensive lineman looked confused at times too. It was weird. The whole thing was weird. But you know, in the first half, it was so many dropped passes and so many like, it was just like. 
it did it looked like the wide receivers didn't want to be there and it was super cold i mean i was at the game maybe they just were not excited about going from 80 degrees on monday to 35 degrees on sunday like may, maybe that was the problem and maybe they just weren't ready for it but i mean the ball was hitting their hands and they were dropping it and the, and they didn't look particularly upset or like hey i'll get you next time and Luckily, Tannehill just kept believing in Nick Westbrook-Akine because I, I'm not sure if I would have thrown that pass in Madden that he threw to the corner uh, to to uh, to NWI because I, I don't know what gave him the confidence he was going to be able to pluck that and get his feet down, but he did, and it was huge. You know, that was one of the two touchdowns on the day between the two, so credit to him, but man, like, that that was that was tough to watch on offense, and I really can't figure out why other than they were expecting the run game to do more. Yeah, the run game was awful. Uh, I haven't read uh, what you said about people thinking that uh, this was because Tannehill got inserted and Henry was better uh, with Willis. I I don't buy that. I mean, Henry had like three straight 100-yard games with Tannehill, uh, a quarterback before those two Willis starts. Um, and also he was facing the Houston Texans who are like a historically bad run defense and the chiefs who have a really bad run defense as well. So yeah, I, I, I don't buy into that at all. Uh, I also thought Henry would did not look good in this game. Uh, I credit the Broncos. I, I think they played very good defense and, you know, they just plugged up the holes, uh, well, but yeah, it, everything looked, everything looked a little bit slow. I, I thought. I thought Burks looked pretty good uh, on the minimal touches uh, that he was able to corral. Uh, and, and I'd like to see him get more involved. I think he will. Uh, he's coming off a long layoff. I'm I'm concerned about Robert Woods. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, like set two, two targets on seven catches. Uh, he had a really big drop on a third down from what I remember. And he just doesn't look the same, man. I, I don't know if it's the age or the ACL uh, injury from last year or just like the collective putridity of the offense that's bringing him down but he is not looking like the Robert Woods that we've come to know uh, as an NFL player uh, thankfully Austin Hooper every time every time Hooper gets passes like he actually does good things and he actually comes down with most of uh, most of the targets so I'm glad that he's getting involved uh, they need to get Chig the ball more. The dude is the dude is so explosive uh, and such a good tackle breaker after the catch. I don't know how this guy is getting one or two targets a game. It needs to be up to five in every single game uh, just because he brings to your offense something that nobody else has and the ability to make uh, plays after the catch. The only other player who could do that is Derrick Henry uh, and Traylon Burks whenever he's healthy, but no one else on the offense uh, can really do that right now. So I don't know why he's not getting uh, more run. Well, and, and that goes back to the press conference today where Mike Vrabel was asked, because I, I I tweeted this this morning, and I don't know if anybody, you know, that was at the press conference saw it or whatever, but I wrote that there, uh, there are two tight ends in the NFL with multiple 40-plus yard catches this year. One is TJ Hawkinson who was a former top 10 pick and he was a pro bowler and he just got traded for multiple top 100 picks. And he's, he's gotten 62 targets this year. The other one is Chigakonkwo. He's a rookie and he's only had 13 targets this year. Like the, the cost, like the, the cost benefit analysis of throwing the ball to Chigakonkwo is it just do it. Like he's averaging 20 yards of reception. I think like 
he's, he's awesome. Like he's been awesome. He was awesome in camp. He, you know, he was constantly praised for his work ethic. And then they asked, why, why don't you get the ball to Chigakonkwo more? And he says, well, you know, it's not up to us who gets the ball. It's, you know, it's up to the quarterback when he's out there. No, no, that's, that's, I hate that. I hate that. Not only, not only is that a bad and dumb way to think about the sport of football, but it's also not true. He's never in his entire NFL career. He's never had a game where he's been on the field for 10 passes. It's all, it's nine or less. Like it, unless he's past blocking. I mean, he's never run double digit routes in a single game. So you've got Jeff Swain running, you know, 15 routes a game or whatever. And I, I like Hooper, like, but you've got Hooper running like, you know, double digit routes. You've got Cody Hollister. You've got guys that you pick up off the street. All these guys are running double digit routes and you're one player who's had multiple 40 yard catches uh, is not, is not involved. It, like it's, it's such a, I'm, I'm I almost cussed. It's, it's such a slap in the face to everybody with two brain cells to rub together to say, well, you know, it's really impossible to say how we could get him the ball more. We're really going to have to figure it out. I, I wish we, I wish we could just crack this code. And it's like, Hey dude, put him on the field for passing downs that, you know, a great way to get your best receiver, the ball, throw it to him. And you know, when you have to throw it to him, when it's a passing play. So it's just, it's it's the drill tweet with the candles. It's like, how do I, you know, somebody please help me fix my budget. It's like, somebody please help me get a more explosive offense. I don't know how to throw the ball. Like, it, it's, it's mind-numbingly painful to listen. And maybe he's just lying to cover up for Todd Downing. If not, he is, he should be out of the whole I go to every meeting room and I'm so involved. If you can't comprehend this, you shouldn't be involved in every meeting room. You don't understand what you're looking for. I'm not involved in every doctor's office that I walk to. You know, it's it, it, they don't let me just go back and do things. I'm not qualified to be back there. If you can't figure out guy who catches passes well should be on the field for passes, you're not qualified to be in those meeting rooms. So I, I, it, it's mine. It, it is so aggravating to listen to him talk and be so condescending and, or so wrong. Yeah, that is a really frustrating way to look at things. It's not only him. I've seen other coaches do it. And you know, what's really funny. This reminds me of Arthur Smith a couple weeks ago uh, from the Meg Vrabel coaching tree. Reporters kept asking him, why is Kyle Pitts not involved in the passing offense? He's your best player. He's your best receiver. And he was pretty much like, this is not fantasy football. We don't decide who gets the ball. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. The Los Angeles Rams, the Los Angeles Rams get the ball to Cooper Cup in so many different ways. They get him 15 freaking targets a game even though the defense knows that he is the only player on the rams offense that could even remotely hurt you yet he continues to be game playing the ball they get ways to get him the ball because he is the best player on their offense and he's good at everything including after the catch this is not difficult man i understand football is is a complex sport absolutely so many things go into it there's a defense on the other side that's scheming to take away players but they can't take away Chigakonkwo 
if he's not on the field like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work that way and it's it's so frustrating and it, i i find it funny that arthur smith uh pretty much gave a similar answer to kyle pitts who's is like he's better than chico conquo he should be like a top three top five tight end uh weapon in the league but they can't get him going and I don't know, maybe it's just a, a frable coaching philosophy thing, but definitely frustrating. Yeah, that is uh, the Kyle Pitts comparison is one that I had not thought of, but it is really good. Like, you know, that their offense is working and m- much better than Todd Downing's or whatever. But, but yeah, you're right. Like, there's no concerted effort to get the ball to specific players. And part of that is because, you know, like, Cordero Patterson looks really good. They have Kyle Pitts. They have Drake London. Like they've got, you know, they've got some, they've got, I think is no, I think Gage might be on uh, the Buccaneers, but they've like, they've got some players, you know, it's not the weakest part of their team, but like when, when you're the Titans and it's like, Hey, uh, everybody's cause don't, don't even look at it now that Burks is back. Like Burks and Woods should be a good one, two combination. Like what I think, it is weird that Woods is not returning kicks too. That you know that that's that that is a strange thing now that now that you say that. Like maybe he is kind of dealing with something. Although he hadn't shown up on the injury report, and they're not afraid to put people on the injury report. So I I don't know. He, he was scaring me a little bit with the punt returners. To be honest with you, I wasn't feeling too. I don't feel confident in any punt return. Yeah, we've been burned so too many times that. this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like you can't fumble like in like three of your first four games, and then also against like like against the Texans. Like yeah. So I, I get the, uh, the, the, you know, take him off if you can, like, and give him more rest. But yeah, it is, it is interesting that he hadn't had a big impact, ha- hasn't had a big impact since, um, what was it? Maybe the Raiders game. Maybe it was the Colts game. One of those two games at home, he, he had a, he had a really solid game and helped move the chains and all that. But I mean, this seems to be an offense that's run to the tight ends. Like, there's a lot of passes to the tight ends, like cool, which is fine. I don't necessarily mind that, but maybe don't throw it to Jeff Swain. Maybe throw it to Chigakonkwo and Austin Hooper, and then now you have something interesting. But it, the smallest level of creativity eludes Todd Downing in this. Team. And uh, th- the problem with all that is, look, if Todd Downing can't do it, fine, I understand that, but. Mike Vrabel has to see that and there has to be a change made because clearly he's over his head as an offensive coordinator. Like clearly he does not understand what he's doing. There's no flow. He's got no identity. The only identity he has is the one that Mike Vrabel tells him he has. And you know, it's, it's not working. So he needs somebody else to come in and and take that job. But you know, if, if that, if that happens this year and they, they say, Hey Todd, you know, we appreciate your service. You can stay if you want, but, Tim Kelly is going to be the offensive coordinator or Frank Reich or, you know, Nathaniel Hackett or, you know, any, any number of guys who should be available this off season, you know, say like, Hey, that we're going to make them the offensive coordinator. Cause we think that they have an actual style that we can build on. Okay. Like I take back all the mean things I'm saying about Mike Frabel. He's just trying to be a good friend, but that's what I thought last year until they kept Todd Downing again. And this is exactly what we were all afraid of. And it's exactly what's happened. And I, I'm not in, you know, what's definitely not going to help if everybody keeps screaming coach of the year, Mike Vrabel on Twitter, you know, if everybody keeps screaming how great of a job he's doing when he's not holding the people accountable around him, that's not going to help the situation. So, I, I mean, we'll see what happens, but 
it's it, it is it is concerning at a minimum uh, that he's not more frustrated with the offense publicly. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really don't want to keep talking about this Rabel thing, but it's just it's so weird. And if you really think about it, like the Titans probably should only have one loss. If they had better coaching in the Chiefs and Giants game, they should have won both of those games, right? So I yeah. don't, it's kind of weird. Like they shouldn't even be six and three. They should actually be better than that. And they've won a, a bunch of close games. And I, I guess that's a uh, that's a testament to the team, but. I don't, I don't know. It's all just so weird uh, to me. But as long as the Titans keep winning, I, I don't care. Anyone could get praise, and, and, and that's fine. Uh, but I just hope it doesn't rear its ugly head uh, in the playoffs. Uh, let's take a break here, and then we'll come back and break down the Green Bay Packers game. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. Uh, the Titans, now at 6-3, and three, in complete control of the AFC South. Uh, man, the Jaguars lost too, right? I think the Colts are second right now with four wins. Do they have four wins or do they have three? I'm actually not. They have four. They're four, five, and one. Uh, Titans are at 6-3. and three. Titans are, are, are pretty... It, are in control, but the Colts are still kind of hanging around. Uh, now they have some newfound uh, juice with Jeff Saturday after beating the two and two and two and seven Raiders. Uh, congrats to the Colts on that win. Hope it goes great for you uh, this upcoming week against the Eagles. But anyway, the Titans face this week the Green Bay Packers on the road on a short week on Thursday night football. Uh, in what should be a cold weather game, although that doesn't really affect the Titans. They actually play better in cold weather, it seems. Uh, but the Packers are coming off a huge win against the Cowboys, ended up saving their season. I believe they are now, uh, bear with me, I don't know everyone's record, four and six. Wow. That, it's crazy that they've lost six games considering they made it pretty far in the, I think they were the one seed last year. Uh, and they were supposed to be a Super Bowl contender this year, but it has just not gone well. The offense has been a complete shambles. They really haven't gotten anything going in any game, aside from this Cowboys game, which is interesting because the Cowboys came in with one of the league's best defenses, uh, but the Packers just kept hitting explosive plays, especially through the air, uh, to the rookie Christian Watson. Aaron Jones got like 30 carries and looked like uh, prime Aaron Jones. So, it's possible that the Packers' offense has found some mojo and maybe found what works, but the Titans' defense is legit, man. Like, I don't even care who's playing. It doesn't even matter at this point. They are playing just so cohesively, and I don't really see the Packers— You remember the—I think it was a Thursday night game or maybe Sunday night game a couple of years ago where the Packers and Devontae Adams went crazy on the Titans' 
uh, defense scored like 40 points or something in the snow. We're not getting that. This is a different Packers team. Aaron Rodgers has struggled mightily this season, and even though it seems like they may have gotten on track against the Cowboys just a week before that, they scored nine points against the Lions. So kind of an interesting situation here for the Titans, but when you look at both teams' season as a whole, I feel like the Titans should be a slight favorite, even though it's on the road uh, in Green Bay. I do feel like the Titans are the better team. Yeah, like it's really that that Packers game was really weird. Like Christian Watson had three touchdowns and went crazy after, you know, an entire season worth of nothing. But the Packers, like they they lost five in a row, I believe, uh, heading into that game last night. I think they were three and one. Then they lost five, and then they won that one in overtime. Like playing an overtime game is tough. Like we just we just saw the ramifications of that, of that for the Titans with how many guys they had to have sit just because it was a lot, you know, it was just a lot for them to deal with. Um, they've already got a lot of guys that they put on injured reserve, so that's not a great plus for them for the Packers. <sighs> There's so much. Just like last week, what the Titans are on Thursday is a complete mystery. You know, could Jeffrey Simmons play after? you know, a sit in a week out and, you know, considering he played on essentially the same thing before, like, I don't know, maybe could Bud Dupree all of a sudden pop up again and play. Maybe could, uh, um, Christian Fulton like play after his, you know, were they just being careful with his hamstring against a team that probably wasn't going to pass the ball very effectively? Maybe, you know, how bad is Elijah Molden's re-aggravation of his groin or whatever? How, where's Amani hooker? Like how's David long? There's so many different questions on if uh, which one of these guys can come in. Not not that it ultimately matters because the the Titans defense, like you said, is playing so well regardless of who's in. But you would rather have your Jeffrey Simmons. You rather have a Bud Bud Dupree. Like you'd rather have a Monty Hooker. Like the more of those guys you can get, the better it is for you. But I don't know that the Packers team knows what they want to be like. There was some question about whether Aaron Rodgers had a thumb injury during the game, and I think they only threw it ten times, like going into the third quarter. Maybe it was, maybe it was a, a different. It was, so it it was pretty far into the game. It was either after halftime or like at the end of the third quarter, and Aaron Rodgers had only thrown ten passes, and that there there was an idea that. Okay, this is a running team that does well, you know, when they feed their running backs and they, you know, they pound the ball. But then their big plays were, the, I mean, like like I just said, like Christian Watson had three touchdowns. So, you know, you don't you don't get three touchdowns as a receiver if you're, you know, if you aren't passing the ball. So I don't know if they finally found their complimentary football or if there's a disagreement on what they should be going into it because that's been the prevailing theory for why they've struggled so much. And then Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur got into it on the sideline uh, when they were going into overtime. And there were some very beneficial calls in that game towards the Packers. Like uh, one in particular, like uh, uh, the judge told the wide receiver to scoot up like an extra foot and the wide receiver said, okay. And he checked with the official and he said he was good. And then the official immediately threw the flag and said that he was lined up off sides. Like, which I saw is that. what was a, that? Yeah. That which was... is about <laughs> as screwy as you can get. Um, 
and, and there were there were a lot of other things in that game that were just bad, just bad officiating, like, you know, not NFL rigged or anything, but the Packers are the team. The Packers and the Cowboys are historically the teams that get the biggest advantages in. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I think it's the Steelers, the Steelers and the uh, Packers are the teams that get the most advantages in uh, penalties called and all that kind of stuff. So that is sort of interesting. Um, but you know, like we'll, we'll Mike Vrabel's not going to, you know, care about that and we shouldn't either, but just the teams on paper, you know, the Titans defense has been, I, I know the, the 49ers technically rank higher, but it's hard for me to see another defense playing better than the Titans are like against the run. And then it's just, can you limit the explosive plays? Can you take advantage of how aggressive Aaron Rodgers is going to be with the pass? Like, get, can you make those kinds of impact plays in the passing game? And I believe the Titans have an interception in something like four or five streak. They have a long streak of interceptions, uh, which is, you know, a great thing to have. They had their most sacks that they've ever had under Vrabel, and they did it without Bud Dupree or uh, Jeffrey Simmons or, you know, Harold Landry, whoever. They did that. And Danico Autry didn't have a sack, and that was on Sunday. So everything seems to be firing on all cylinders now. So in a cold game, if you're going to say which running game is better and, you know, which team do you feel more comfortable slugging it out, I think you would have to give that advantage to the Titans. But they've got to do their part, too, and not give up any of those easy explosive plays or anything like that because the Cowboys had the whole thing, like, hemmed up. I mean, they, they were up 14 points. I believe in the fourth quarter and they still found a way to lose. Yeah. Hopefully the time to get uh, some of these players back. Hopefully Christian Fulton is back. I think that'll be important uh, to limit Christian Watson and Alan Lazard. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I, I just, I feel like there's a good matchup for the Titans just because the Packers want to run the ball. You know, they, they like getting Aaron Jones the ball when they can, um, and they like mixing in A.J. Dillon as well, uh, especially now that we're getting into the colder months. But the Titans' defense is, run defense is, is absurd. Like, it's they hold, like, every team to, like, two, two and a half yards per carry. It's actually unprecedented. Um, and teams, like, have completely quit trying to run the ball on them. And <clears throat> I don't know if the Packers are, are going to try that. I don't know what their game plan is going to be specifically. Maybe... Uh, they'll try to air it out because they saw it lead to success against the Cowboys. But I feel like Shane Bowen uh, should and and will know uh, what's coming and should devise a good game plan, uh, especially considering the Packers offense really just hasn't been good all season. It was really only uh, that game against the Cowboys, and it, it feels a little bit uh, fluky. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking at I'm looking at our are no nonsense notes. Uh, I'm looking at some of these over unders that we did before the season. Some of those are looking pretty terrible, but I'm also looking at uh, the Titans schedule that we kind of went out and predicted. Uh, we thought there would be six and three by now. So pretty predictable Titans. Uh, we did have this next yep. game with the Packers coming up uh, as a loss, but that's when we thought the Packers were going to be like an NFC juggernaut. And that has not been the case uh, at all, and I do think the Titans are, are probably a better team at this point in time. I don't know if that'll matter uh, in this game, but like I said, I really do like how the Titans match up against this team, 
especially on offense. I know we've talked so much about how bad Todd Downing is and how Derrick Henry uh, just had a really bad game. But if there's a game for Henry to, to break out of a slump, it's this one. The Packers have a pretty terrible run defense. Teams have run at on them at will. Uh, Tony Pollard just had a really big game against them. And every team that, that they've come up against just has had a lot of success on the ground. And that's the Titans MO. That's what they want to do. Add to that that the Packers just last week lost Rashawn Gary to a season-ending injury. Devondre Campbell was out for this Packers game, uh, for this Cowboys game, and I'm not sure if he's going to play in this one. If he doesn't, like, wheels up for Derrick Henry in the running game. Yeah, and I, I think one of their corners is hurt, and I think uh, their rookie from Georgia also got hurt. I, I don't know how bad. I just as I was listening to the game coming back, I heard that that, that he's on IR. He's on IR now. Who Stokes. is? Stokes. Eric oh Stokes. yeah, Stokes. Yeah, and then but the uh, the defensive lineman Walker, I think's his name, Quay Walker. Uh, he got hurt, and uh, I I I thought we were gonna get. We're recording this on Monday, obviously. I I thought we would get estimated practice reports or whatever, but we we did not. So I don't I don't know what that means, but. I, I didn't hear anything about them putting anybody on IR or anything like that. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, like they're, they're a pretty banged up team, just like the Titans are. And the difference is, is they're not, you know, not that they're not used to it. They've had Bakhtiari go in and out. Like they've, they've had injuries, but like, I don't think anybody is as accustomed to injuries or more prepared to deal with them than the Titans are, unfortunately. So yeah, I mean, if you can get Derek Henry running full speed, North and South, like, and they're professionals. I don't know how much they really care about it, but this is the team that when they were really rolling, what was it in 2020 we were talking about earlier, that Sunday night game where like they were really rolling and it was the Titans. Like are the Titans really the best team? You know, can they, can they compete for the one seed, blah, blah, blah. And then it was that snow game and they just got manhandled by, uh, by the Packers. Like that was, an unfun thing to watch. So it may have been last year. I, I don't remember actually, but it, regardless of when it was, it was one of those things where it, it was one of those, they can get some respect if they win this game and then they got trounced and it was never close and it was not fun to watch. So I, there's a lot of those same guys, I think on the team and especially Mike Vrabel, who you don't have to do anything to rile him up and make him feel like an underdog, but if there is something to actually point to, it, it'll fuel him and he can maybe get his guys going a little bit harder. And it also helps that this isn't a trap game. Like this isn't a team that lost six straight. They're a team that basically trap gamed the Cowboys last week. So, you know, there, there shouldn't be any overlooking and there shouldn't be any, you know, pointing down the road or anything like that. So hopefully everything goes well. And, you know, if the Titans play their game, I have a hard, especially if they played like they did against Kansas City on offense and defense, but with Tannehill in, like I have a hard time seeing them losing this game, even though I think it will be competitive and close. Yeah, I, I will say I, I think it's a bit of a toss up uh, because anything can happen with this Titans team as we've seen, uh, and they really just <laughs> they love playing close games. It is what it is. So I do think uh, it'll be close for most of the night, but. Like I said, I think the Titans are a slightly better team right now, and they should win, but, you know, anything can happen in Green Bay, and maybe Rodgers uh, turns back the time uh, for a second straight week. So 
we'll see. Uh, let's take one more ad break here, and then we'll wrap up with Stop the Nonsense. So just as soon as we stopped recording the podcast, the Titans injury report, or estimated injury report, uh, wait, is it estimated? I actually don't know. Yeah, it's, um, so it's it's an estimated, it says that they held a walkthrough. There so, you go, okay. Yeah, so it's just... Oh yeah, you're right. It says yeah. estimated walkthrough held. Okay, so just going through it real quick so we can update you guys on that. Uh, the biggest names that are did not practice are Bud Dupree, obviously Caleb Farley, who we talked about, Cody Hollister, uh, Mike Rabel is going to be really upset about that one, Lonnie Johnson, Ben Jones with a concussion, uh, which is new and probably not good news, probably not going to get cleared in time uh, with the protocol, and then Jeffrey Simmons, also DMP with that ankle. Uh, in terms of limited, we have Danico Autry and Derek Henry with not injury related. So that, that just seems like load management veteran days off Aaron Brewer with a toe, Christian Fulton with a hamstring, uh, limited, I, I think is good news for him. David Long, Roger McCreary, Elijah Molden with a groin, uh, and then Kevin Strong and Ryan Tannehill and then full pa- full participation, Amani Hooker. So he should be back. What stands out to you from those designations? Yeah, so the concussion is the really, really weird one because I, as far as I know, Ben Jones finished the game. So unless I missed that somehow, that's a new thing that's prop, that's popped up. If there's some sort of symptoms of concussion, there's no way Mike Vrabel is going to let him practice. In fact, the fact that he's on this list at all, like Mike Vrabel – I can't think of a single time that somebody's been listed on an injury report with a concussion and has played the following game, even if it was on a Sunday. So that sort of puts the Titans in in a tailspin because now you're talking about do you bring in Levin or do you put Brewer at center and then move Raidens to left guard? So I don't know. That's what, what I was there. thinking. But Raidens Levin has he practiced at left guard? I feel like it's all been right guard for him. Uh, he, right? he practiced. He practiced at left guard in the preseason. That's where I think that's where he spent um, uh, the third entire third preseason game was at left guard. I could be wrong. Oh, but, you're right. Actually, yeah, yeah. you're right. Because I remember him getting out on some screen passes. Also, he yeah. looked pretty athletic doing it. Because he he did right tackle and left guard this preseason, if I remember correctly. And then he's played right guard and left tackle in the in, in actual NFL games. Just to further muck up any sort of development he could have. So I'm going to guess just penciling Corey Levin there at center, just because he seems like that, like that seems like an easy plug and play on a short week, like rather than switch two guys. Um, Farley, we already know Hollister, who cares? Um, Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons both didn't play or both didn't practice. I would not assume that they would practice. I, I don't assume Simmons will practice either way, like regardless I think he'll just be a game-time decision either way. Um, Dupree, I think maybe we watch what he does on Tuesday and then on Wednesday. Um, Hooker full participation is huge because I can't imagine they'd let him full participate and then pull him back. Like it, they, we'll, we'll know by tomorrow because if they pulled him back tomorrow, then he's not playing. Like it's a setback. But otherwise, going, it would have it would have been limited if he yeah. was even sort yeah. of questionable. Yeah, because that, that's what they did with Tory Carter, too, where they gave him full participation after not playing. So then the fact that Roger McCreary and uh, – I mean, all the corners were on there. But the fact that Roger McCreary, uh, Elijah Molden, and Christian Fulton are all listed as limited 
as well as David Long, makes me think that they're fine. Like that, not not sorry, not that they're fine, but that they're trending towards playing. Like I, I would assume that there's degrees of injury with those guys. I don't, I don't think McCreary is injured enough, unless it's something that popped up today. Um, I don't think he's injured enough to where it, it was noticeable in the game. And then, uh, Molden left the game, but the fact that he's doing limited instead of being held out like like Lonnie Johnson or you know some of the other guys up there, I would assume that he's okay. David Long with a knee injury, like I said, you know, that it was weird. It like I it didn't look like I, I could not tell what was wrong with him I, when he was going. Yeah. Out of the game. Like I couldn't tell I, if it was a shoulder stinger, if it was a hand. Um and I watched him on the sideline. He didn't limp or walk funny. So I mean, maybe he's okay and it's just some soreness and you just went knee to knee or something, but I, I don't I don't know. Like but again, the fact that they're limited uh seems to indicate a good thing because there's no reason for these guys to do anything if they aren't going to pra- aren't going to play like all these guys who've been starting all these games that you don't need them to go through walkthroughs like they could you know they could sit just like Simmons or Bud Dupree if they were going to sit also Randy Bullock didn't practice so you know what whatever that that's I was going to mention that who would even yeah. be I don't even I mean, know he, who they would call. Kicked, like, I'm not crazy. He kicked on Sunday, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm then I'm guessing he just caught a caught a cramp in his calf, and they're just resting him because he's listed as right calf, which I'm assuming means Charlie Horse. Um, but yeah. So the DNP though, that, I mean, that, that like, probably means I mean, he's not going to play, right? But like in a walkthrough, like. You know, yeah, I don't know how yeah. much how much do you need like how much do you need your kicker to practice during a walkthrough, but because it, it could have just been an hour walkthrough then get back and because it could have been in the facility I we don't know, um but I guess we'll watch that as we go forward but yeah uh, right now I would say that Ben Jones won't play and that that that'll be a pretty significant loss for them but that Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Bud Dupree are still up in the air. And then I tentatively want to say that I would imagine that this will be the first time that we see all five starting defensive backs with Amani Hooker in the three corners and then Kevin Byard not even listed on the injury report. So we'll, we'll see, you know, Aaron Rodgers did not practice during their walkthroughs with a right thumb injury. You know, we talked about that. I, I don't know if we're putting this before or after, so I'm just going to pretend that we're doing that. We're going to put this to the front. Uh, and later you'll hear us talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers and his thumb and all that. So, uh, yeah, like that, that's, but they didn't have any practice. They didn't even have a walkthrough. So that's, that's all made up. So the the one bit, the two big things, the two guarantees that we have basically are Ben Jones, not playing Amani hooker is playing everything else is speculation. And that's just kind of how it's trending. That is uh, correct, and just to go through the DMPs for the Packers, even though, like you said, they didn't even have a practice, so I don't know uh, how much to take into this, but Bakhtiari, who <laughs> I don't think he's practiced all season, uh, Elton Jenkins, who has a high-profile name, but he's actually been terrible this year, uh, so I don't know if that's even a loss for them. Uh, Romeo Dubs isn't going to play as a high ankle sprain. Shamar Jean Charles, another cornerback, is injured for them. And then Devondre Campbell, who we talked or will talk about, depending on on where we put this uh, segment. Uh, he's DMP also, so he's probably not going to play. So both teams are, are pretty banged up, um, and 
yeah, it is what it is. That that's how it is in the NFL uh, at this point in time. Welcome back into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Whale, do you want to kick us off with your stop the nonsense? Yeah, I kind of already touched on it, and you know, I I won't I won't beat a dead horse too much, but there was a specific quote that kind of got me riled up, and and I tweeted about it, and I got interactions on Twitter for it, but when Paul Kaharski, who not a friend of the podcast, uh, when he asked Mike Vrabel if he's pleased with the offensive coordinator, like with how that, how the offense is doing, basically, you know, Mike Vrabel is very dismissive. And I look nine times out of 10, I think that's funny. And I think that's a great thing to do to Kaharski because he's going to if you give him an inch of leeway in what he's going to write about he'll tear you down and he'll find a way to spin it negative all that kind of stuff but Mike Vrabel said a lot of like things that like trigger red, red flags right so one of the things was as he said you know the offensive coordinator's job is to get the play to the play caller, meaning the quarterback. And then after that, it's up to the, to the players to execute, which uh, that's not the job of an offensive coordinator. That's the job of the headset. The offensive coordinator should be the one who is picking out the right plays and the correct plays to manipulate situations to your advantage. So uh, that, that was a frustrating thing. And he, he proceeded to kind of, shoo it off and and do one of his favorite party tricks which is to muddle where the blame should go and it's like well you know it's a we're not we're not blocking well enough we're not throwing well enough we're not catching well enough we're not running well enough we're not calling plays well enough and it's like okay i i understand that you have to say something to that effect but it's so uh, and, and again I'm, I'm gonna get myself worked up but look your response to that cannot be we uh, any time that the play gets to the quarterback in time that's a successful play call like that that can't be it like even if you're gonna lie hold yourself to a higher standard and lie better than that you know like just Mike Vrabel doesn't feel like he owes the fans anything and he doesn't like I mean we're not out, you know, we boo when he makes bad calls. We boo when he doesn't uh, throw the challenge flag when he's supposed to, Like that fans do that. Like that, they, they don't, you know, they'll turn on you as soon as you stop winning games. Like that's, he doesn't, as long as he's doing what he thinks is best and he's winning, that's cool because we won't save him if, you know, he, if he's on the way out, like, you know, but he takes this, teammates over everything and we're family and we got each other's back he takes that too far like you can't have accountability in a situation where nobody is held accountable when they do things wrong like if if there's a long pass play and you ask jeffrey simmons you know what what happened on that play he'll say you know i just didn't do a good enough job getting upfield and getting to the quarterback that's fine but the coach can't say well, Jeffrey Simmons didn't do a good enough job getting to the court. You've got like, you, and if you do, you have to do something in the back to address it. And at this point, when it comes to the offense and using Chickaconquo, like we talked about earlier, the continued use of Dennis Daly, which nobody can figure out, 
the substitutions at running back that are so frequent now, the Cody Hollister snaps, like like all of these things, like I don't believe that he is actually holding Todd Downing accountable. And while it's easy to say, well, he doesn't really mean that. He's just messing with Parsky. My problem is that his actions show that he does mean that and he does not understand better and that he is taken up for Todd Downing and doubling down yet again on this bad decision that he made. And that is where my problem with it is. And so that that's that's my stop the nonsense is just I'm I'm tired of him saying the coach speak, but then not doing the coach's job of fixing it. I feel like people are going to just call us Mike Brable haters after, after this podcast, but yeah, I mean, he's a good if you, coach. If, like, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, it's like, we, like we're not Mike Brable haters. He's a good head coach. Like he, we're kind the, of haters. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like we're just, we're truthers. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, the the best this team has been on offense is with Arthur Smith, and the worst this team on def- has been on defense is with Mike Vrabel on the defense. And the reason I say that is because when Mike Vrabel removes himself from the play calling and all that and has a competent offensive coordinator and a competent defensive coordinator, he can do the other stuff. He can do the culture stuff. He can do the motivation. He can do the keeping every – like he seems to be able to keep people accountable enough. Like – but – when he doesn't have somebody who knows what they're doing as the offensive coordinator, or I guess as the defensive coordinator, we hadn't really seen that much, then the floor falls out and you get the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL like that, you know, and that's what you get. Like he's never going to add anything schematically to a team. He doesn't have it. it, whether it's, he's not, he's never focused long enough on one side of the ball and that like he knows everything. That's great. He can't call plays on defense to save his life. He's been part of the two times he's been in charge. They've been the worst two defenses in the NFL. Like he, he's a terrible defensive play caller. And I, I've seen nothing to suggest, he knows offense, but that shouldn't be his job. Like he's not Andy Reed. That that's just not who he is. He is, uh, he is much uh, just a different kind of guy and that's okay. You just have to work around that. Yeah. I mean, he, he's an elite, elite motivator and the players love him. I, I think he's, He's what everyone wants Dan Campbell to be, but he's actually that, and he's has proven success with it. Um, I thought of a conspiracy theory <laughs> as we were just talking. What if Mike Rabel is actually the one calling plays on offense? <laughs> because it would make sense, right? He was so bad at doing it on defense, yeah. he relinquishes the duties to Shane Bowen, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the defense is great again. Um, imagine if he's the one who has the reins on the offense and that's why all this is happening. I don't, I don't, I don't actually think that's happening. No, I've, I've I've watched him on the sidelines when he's just kind of pacing and like his microphone and like facing the wrong way and stuff. Like, I mean, he's, if, I mean, although that could be, that looks like how the offense is called. So maybe he is, but I, I I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, we've talked to him about it in the past. Like he loves playing the victim, playing the adversity card. So all, all of this, like the injuries, having the worst offense in the league, this is his wet dream, man. This is, this is his, his shining moment and he's getting it. I hope it ends up uh, in better playoff success than the past couple of seasons. But uh, until that happens, uh, I don't know, we can, we're fair to, we're okay to criticize 
uh, when it's warranted. I mean, and like I said that like we're going to be labeled Mike Rabel haters, but we call out everyone who plays bad or coaches bad. We used to call out Derrick Henry, the our king. We, we used to call him out. Smith. I like, know, yeah. We've, <laughs> called, we've called out everybody. Like when you do your job poorly, yeah. we, we're not going to gloss over it. Like we called out. Uh, we've John done Robinson it with Robinson. Drafted, yeah, exactly. Uh, That's what we drafted Isaiah say. Wilson. We all hated that. Like I mean, we made fun of it. Like I wrote an article like the day it happened, giving him like a D minus. And the only reason, I, and I said the only reason I gave him a D minus is because at least there's a place like for him to play on the offensive line. Like, I like, I, I've I've. I've been harsh when it's warranted on everybody because when it sucks, I know it's going to suck for years or at the very least for a full season. Like there, there should be no reprieve, but the problem is if you don't go with the group think and you try to bring up something where the current's going the other way, everybody just like freaks out and loses their mind. Yeah, for sure. No one is safe from, from our wrath. Uh, so for my stop the nonsense, I want to talk a little bit about, the Arizona Cardinals uh, front office, because we, we all know what happened in the offseason with Kyler Murray, that that clause that says he had to study for four hours a week on the side uh, because he like would show up to games unprepared or whatever. They also extended him, even though uh, they felt that way about him. They gave him like two hundred million dollars guaranteed or something like that. Uh, they also extended Cliff Kingsbury, who had proven to be a pretty not great head coach. And we all know all that happened. And then today, super weird, they released Eno Benjamin, uh, who we from weeks one to five, he played, uh, I looked this up, he played 34% of the offensive snaps as James Conner, Conner's like direct backup slash change of pace guy. Uh, and he looked really good, very good pass catcher uh, out of the backfield. Week six to eight, James Conner gets injured. He plays 78% of their snaps, gets 47 touches while Conner is out. And then on Sunday this week, he plays one offensive snap and then gets released by the Cardinals. Nothing has happened. There have been no reports that he violated anything. He even like came out, uh, I saw a, a tweet, and he was surprised by the decision as well. Nothing seems to have gone into this other than they think he's not good, but all of the metrics, uh, I think he's like second in, in rushing yards after contact or overexpected or something like that. Uh, I can't really remember the the specific stat, but I've seen him play. I think he's been pretty dynamic as, as a pass catcher and a change of pace back. So super weird. I don't know what the Cardinals are, are doing. This is the same team that a couple of weeks ago traded for Robbie Anderson Robbie Anderson this past week played eight snaps. Two weeks before that, he played seven snaps. <laughs> um, and it's already been four weeks since he's he's acclimated to the offense. This front office, I mean, we want to talk bad about John Robinson and the Titans front office. This is what a really bad uh, front office does, and it just makes no sense. This Eno Benjamin situation is weird. Um we don't need a backup running back because Dontrell Hilliard is really good in that role, but teams are probably going to be lining up to to sign him once available. Yeah, that was so weird. And, like, it it was like Schefter tweeted it as, like, ah, a little bit of a surprise here. And then everybody was like, whoa, that's really weird. And it just didn't make any sense. Like, I don't know if he's, like, just pretending that it's a surprise. And he's like, I can't believe they cut me. 
because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. Like maybe he it would, told them it would be know. like the Titans cutting Dontrell Hilliard midseason. Yeah. yeah. So weird. Like the only difference is I, I like all I can imagine is is he was like, Hey, like I want maybe a bigger part of the offense. I feel like I can help. And they're like, This guy's demanded too much. We gotta get him out of here. Like and it's like, okay. Or like maybe he beat like Kyler Murray in Call of Duty and just like like he kept showing him up and like his KD ratio was higher or something. I don't know. By the way, uh, I don't know if you saw the the game that Colt McCoy started, but uh, they scored 27 points and everyone on Twitter is like, like came alive. (laughs) Like everybody's like, Whoa, it turns out that this offense can function. And it's like, now what do you like? That's the worst thing. Like that was my fear when Malik Willis came in is that they would have, which was stupid looking back that they would have a good game plan on how to use his legs and that everybody would buy in. And then as soon as teams counterpunched, it would be like, Oh, well Malik Willis should still start or Tannehill should start. Like just, it would be like a civil war. And luckily that didn't happen because Malik is a good player, but he needs time. But like now, if you're, if you're a Cardinals fan, what are you thinking? Like, are you thinking, Hey, maybe we can get like a Russell Wilson type trade deal and be right back in this because, or are you thinking we need a new, like we need a new head coach because this obviously doesn't like, I don't, I don't know what you do because now we're at a point where we know the marriage between those two probably isn't the best. Like they've gotten into arguments on the sideline before and they don't really seem to compliment each other, like in terms of game plan. So it's like, I, I don't know what you do. They're in a really bad position, and they put themselves in this position, so I don't feel any sympathy whatsoever uh, for that organization. But Kyler just – he's not it, man. Like, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I think he's an average to above average quarterback. But within the structure of the offense, Colt McCoy genuinely looked better for them. Um, And I don't know if that's like a long-term thing. I don't know if he could do that every week week in week out or this was no. just a really good one week game plan thing but but man, I mean, it, it feels like they're it. it feels like they're the new york giants like of 2021 like it feels like they're the team that like you have a guy who you're committed to in your quarterback and maybe if you make a change it'll work but the problem is like kyler murray has never put together a season like not not that daniel jones is awesome but like they've never been consistent winners like this late in the year like i think they sort of fading even before this last year and so it's like they always fade when it gets when it starts to get colder and when you get to november and all that and like can you invest in a quarterback like that like i i don't know that i mean like they already have but i mean like can you commit to that guy long term or are you like looking for a way out already I don't know. I don't know what team would trade up ass, trade assets for him either. Like they already have to pay him a huge contract. That's really bad position uh, for the Cardinals, and they're not making it better with with some of these moves uh, that they're making. Very uh, very concerning situation out in Arizona. So thankfully the Titans aren't the Cardinals, and I think we can all uh, agree that we're happy with that. That'll do it for us this week. Uh, excited to watch the Titans on Thursday Night Football. I, I know we've lost both of our primetime games uh, this year, but they were against really good AFC teams, uh, although the Bills look kind of terrible right now. I don't know what's going on 
uh, with them. But hopefully the Titans could come out with a win on Thursday night football, show the national media that the fighting Mike Rables are, are a force to be reckoned with uh, in the NFL uh, and would be good just to beat Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not liking what's going on with them. Their, their vibes are, their vibes are off. So hopefully the Titans can win and we'll be back next week to recap that one uh, for Matias for Will. Thank you for tuning in and remember to always stop the nonsense. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.